hey, look, you know, climate change and global warming and, you know, all the bad things are going to happen. And, and there is a part for that. But but for me, I tend to lean into the, okay, well, well, what action is being taken? What action can someone take? How do we ensure that anything that comes to the region is additive versus competitive? The reality is because they have the scale, they have the ability to attract China, Asia, scale. Sure. We just don't have the scale. So philanthropists are like, there's no, there's no impact there. But to us, this is real life. This is, I was going to say, this is die. like a life or death right now. Yes, this is, this is a very, very death. real thing. We have to start, one, being very proud of what we've managed to do, despite all odds. But we all also need to be informed about where we are strong versus where we are weak. Hey folks, Chike Farrell here. I'm really excited about the conversation I'm going to have today. I want to welcome Raquel Moses. Uh, thank you for taking the time. This is a new podcast, Sustainability in the Global South, and I'm really excited to talk with people who are taking action um, around all things sustainability. So we'll get into a whole bunch of things today, some of the work that you're doing, some of the journey that's brought you here, and you know some of the things that are kind of happening, the big picture as you see it. But first, let's kind of just get introduced you know I would love it if you would share a little bit about the work you do today and then we can kind of dig into the origin story and go from there sure no problem at all and thank you so much for having me I love the idea of having a, a sustainability in the global south conversation because I think far too little of that conversation leads from the global south talking about the solutions that we have and the innovations that we're doing it, it's very much focused on how we need help and we do yeah but it's not focused on what we're bringing to the table and that I think is really important to empower us to fill in that space. So what I do is uh, I run the Caribbean Climate Smart Accelerator. We're a coalition of 28 countries pursuing, actually, as of yesterday, 29. Okay, 29 awesome. territories. Uh, Cayman was announced yesterday. Uh, pursuing climate action together and looking at ways that we can collaborate, looking at ways that we can bring new money to the table to enable us to, to take the action that we've promised. How do we implement the Paris Agreement? Now, some of it is fairly straightforward, you know, on the renewable energy side, that has a cash flow with it and it's easy to finance as long as the project is properly prepared. Right. On the adaptation side, it's very, very challenging because a lot of those don't have associated cash flows. For example, Jamaica has all of their coastal roads that need to be raised as a, a measure of adaptation. But who's going to pay for that? Yeah. It's not going to bring in any new income. It's just going to save from losses that they would incur if they don't raise those roads. So looking at ways of financing those kinds of things would be really important. Uh, speaking of Cayman again, Keisha, Keisha Farnham, our Director of Public Sector Projects, is in Cayman right now okay. launching our Climate Smart Agriculture Project. So we've, we launched it in August and we're 
releasing a new phase now, and it's incredibly exciting. How do we grow our food and feed our people and ensure that we have food security? And it's looking at how do we use hydroponic systems and use innovative methods of growing our food. So we work with things like renewable energy on conservation and protecting and enforcing 30 by 30 and the creation of new green jobs. And so that's that's what we do. That's amazing. So how long have you been at it? How long have you been doing this work? I have been at the Accelerator since unbelievably 2019, and it, it doesn't even seem like that's it's been that long. Right. And we this was during the incubation phase, and we were so fortunate. Virgin Unite, uh, Richard Branson's foundation, incubated the Accelerator, and right. then we were finally we were sort of announced in 2019. 2018, yeah. and then we were fully incubated and incorporated in 2020. Just in time. Right, <laughs> just in time, exactly. Right, and then you have to navigate that whole that whole period, and then now kind of coming out of it. Well, that's amazing. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, I thought was super interesting was your, is it your background. So, mm -hmm. you know, here you are, you've been working now, you know, in Climate Smart Accelerator, in the sustainability space. You have this really interesting background. You've done sales, you've done, you know, the tech industry. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, the work and the road that sort of led you here. Sure. So my background is almost entirely in tech. And when I interviewed for this role, I said, listen, what you need, you need two things. You need somebody who knows how to get things done. And certainly a background in sales and tech will give you that. Right. But two, I really believe that the technological solutions and that, that measure of innovation is what we need to amp up and to accelerate our climate action. And so I felt like my background was uniquely suited to doing this work. I'd also done a stint at InvestDT. I headed up the agency. And at the time, we had we had a, a green portfolio. So we were looking at setting up a solar assembly facility in Trinidad and Tobago, something that the accelerator has taken on and are st we're still working with investors to try and onboard. But also, when I was at Microsoft, we looked at using Internet of Things devices in the Gulf of Paria to detect oil spills. Yeah. And it was... For me, the first sort of look at the environmental impacts of what was happening to the planet. And those two things, I think, opened my eyes. Yeah. And then together with the IPCC report, it just, it felt like there was nowhere else for me to go. There was nothing else that would allow me to sleep at night, you know, versus waking up in a cold sweat, like what's going on? So I'm like, listen, I've got to be a part this of the solution. Do. That's, yeah. that's like, I, I, you know, that resonates with me so much because yeah, I feel, you know, in, in, a, in a very sort of similar space, you know, sort of 20 plus years as a marketer and, uh, you know, 15 plus years in the tech industry um, abroad as well. And finding this sort of draw, this pull to this space, you know, I certainly don't consider myself, you know, an expert by, by any means, but I'm just sort of sharing this journey of, okay, well, okay, well, I'll go to Climate Week and let's do this and let's do that and let's try to understand this space. But, but increasingly, kind of like you just described, it, you know, you get these little bits of exposure and then it just sort of, at least for some people like yourself and, and like me now, you just sort of feel like, wow, I need to reorient my time and my career to try to do some part 
towards this thing. So, so that really resonates with me. Um, let's go back a little bit mm-hmm. further. So, you know, what what did you what did you well, let's you know talk a little bit about where the, where you grew up and and you know island country for for folks who may not be familiar, and then we can kind of go into what you studied uh, as well. Sure. And and to be fair, this this area of sustainability is everybody's area whether or not you realize it whether or not you accept it whether or not you take it on we are all going to have to be a part of this solution so i think the sooner you recognize it and get involved in some way shape or form the better so where did I start? I grew up, I was born and raised in Trinidad. I went to Sacred Heart and then Bishop Anstey. I lived in Barataria. I then went to school. I went to Morris Brown for undergrad and Georgia Tech for grad school. Studied management of IT because that was what I'd planned to do. Right. I actually had planned when I left Trinidad, I had planned to be an attorney. Okay. And so while I was an undergrad, I worked as a paralegal. Okay. And I worked in this law firm Lovely people, but everybody was so unhappy. I was like, is this what You're I'm like, committing yeah. my life to? Is this, is this life what I'm to? signing up for? Right. <laughs> exactly. And so, because I was, you know, the youngest person at the firm at the time, they, you know, any kind of IT thing, they would get me involved. Yeah. So I was on the IT committee. Right. And this firm that sold us our IT, they said, you know, you have a real knack for this. And I was like, you know, I, I enjoy it. And the firm was like, she's the only person who never has trouble turning on her computer. I was like, Lord <laughs> of mercy. That's a very low bar. <laughs> right. But, you know, they hired me and I started this track with tech, helping law firms to transition to new technology, helping them implement, you know, Microsoft Office when, you know, the, I was from back in the days of Wood Perfect right, and, right, and right. Lotus 1, 2, 3, right. you know, and, and it was just all, never a dull day. Yeah. Always, always super exciting. And then I worked at a small firm called Gaia doing the the transitions. Then I went to JP Morgan Chase working on Chase.com. And that was super, super interesting for me. But then the dot-com bust happened. Yeah. And they were saying, listen, move to New York. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, freezing to death. Right, right. My trinity behind was like, there, yeah, is, uh-uh. there is no New York in my, <laughs> in my travel schedule. Right. So I said, you know what, let me come home. And I came home and worked for Fujitsu, which I love. Like, Fujitsu will always have an amazing part of my heart. Right. The people who still work there are family, without question. I went from there to Lyme, which is cable and wireless, and I was a regional uh, VP of regional enterprise, and that was excellent, and I enjoyed it a lot. And then I got married and had to come home. Right. Married to my Jamaican husband who lived in Trinidad. So that was when I headed up Invest TT and I really and enjoyed that. That there. was like my dream job because we were working on IT and how do we get more IT firms. We were able to get iCore, um, who's doing business process outsourcing, to come to Trinidad. And look at all of the jobs that they've they've generated since then. So it's been amazing, amazing. And then I went from 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 Invest TT to ACCA, which was a very, very strange departure. Right. But it was so intriguing. And I was head of Europe and America, okay. the ACCA, okay. which was okay. crazy right. from Trinidad. Right. 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 But we have a very big market here in Trinidad. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. But I had had this flirtation with Microsoft for many, many moons. I had been talking to Microsoft since early Jamaica days. Right. And I'd said, listen, you guys just want to date me. You don't want to marry me. Because you keep calling, but you never, right. you never make an no, offer. Right. And lo and behold, they made an offer. Offer came in. So I went to Microsoft, and then um, I had a baby. Yeah. And uh, 
Microsoft reorganized and we no longer had a head of country, which right. I was at the time. Right. So I had to figure out what next. And this sustainability thing just all just kind of kept it just it just seemed like all of the forces aligned to ensure that I was paying attention. Yeah. And so when I interviewed for this job, I said, listen, you can hire me or not hire me, but know something. You will see me in this space because this is something that I am. I need to do. I have to do. I love and that. Well, that's well, how I ended up here. Well, one of the things that's sort of interesting and that I kind of take from that is, you know, you have had exposure and experience, not just from a sector standpoint, but across the region and then across the world. How has how that connected to the work that you're able to do within an accelerator that's in 29, you know, uh, countries and with, you know, people and staff in, in different places. How has that sort of helped and, and fit in? I think it's been, it's been amazing. And I've never shied away from a challenge. Like I love a challenge and it, figuring out something new and learning something new and challenging myself and, you know, being in that uncomfortable space of not knowing. Yeah. So you talked about not being an expert. Neither am I, but we have so much science the expertise is set, right. right? What we need are people who are able to bring solutions to the table and get people with solutions exposed to the right audiences. And having had that exposure in different cultures with different people, you make lots of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Trust me when I tell you, I have a, I have a book bag full of mistakes, right. but I learn from everyone. And from everyone, I'm able to grow and innovate and iterate and become stronger as a leader. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, one of the things that, that, that always kind of strikes me as I kind of dig into this is, is really action. And you talked about solutions. And, you know, part of this sort of space is that, hey, look, you know, climate change and global warming and, you know, all the bad things are going to happen. And, and there is a part for that. But, but for me, I tend to lean into the, okay, well, well, what action is being taken? What action can someone take? What are some examples? I mean, you shared a couple earlier on, but, but when you think about some of the work that you've been doing, you know, what are some of the things that you're really proud of along this sort of like real tangible action journey towards trying to solve these issues? I'm, I'm proud of so many things. Um, certainly, yes, our Climate Smart Agriculture, certainly about what we're working on with uh, renewable energy. We're working on a Caribbean Blended Finance for Resilience Fund. We were able to get money from the Government of Canada, working with the Caribbean Development Bank on reducing the barriers for renewable energy projects across the region in accessing funding. Because many of the projects are commercially feasible and some of them need additional money to build resilience. Others of them need just a little bit more to make them marketable. Right. And what we want to do is to help them to close that gap. We also chair the development the development partners working group and that is all of the working all of the development partners that are working in the region how do we ensure that you know idb world bank um giz all of these different agencies are not stepping on each other's toes sure. how do we ensure that anything that comes to the region is additive in versus competitive mm -hmm. and so working across those development partners we're helping to sort of identify this is where the need is this is what is the next thing that needs to be done this is how we 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 establish where we are the thing that I am most proud of and most excited about is our climate smart map which we launched at COP 
And that is, how do we, we're in a data desert, right? Yeah. How do we, <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that point because, you know, um, COP was in, in yes, Dubai. Right. But yes, in an actual desert. In actual but, desert, yes. But in the Caribbean, <laughs> we're in a data desert. Right. Right. So how do we know what are the gaps that need to close and where, where are the projects across the region? What are the things that are happening? And we have over 200 projects listed on our Climate Smart map that you can find at map.caribbeanaccelerator.org. It's free to access. If you want to download the data, all we need is your email address because we want to know who's downloading the data. Yeah. But you can compare and contrast different statistics for different countries. If you want to develop a project, if you want to fund a project, how do philanthropists decide on creating economies of scale? And so it's, it's, it's those kinds of things, closing the gap that... We ha closing the gaps that we have so that people are able to get more involved. What are some of the solutions that are required? Where are the areas of, of low resilience that we need to right. build up? So I want to see way more entrepreneurs working in this space and Caribbean entrepreneurs creating solutions not just for their town, not just for their country, not just for their group of islands, but for global execution. That's how we build our economic resilience. We create products that we can then export, create solutions that we can export. And we're doing a lot of exciting things with sargassum, with mangroves, with seaweed replanting, with, a num with um, bioplastics. And we're seeing all of that through some of the entrepreneurs that we've supported. Yeah, that's so it's, amazing. It's, it's, a, it's an incredibly exciting space. That's amazing. Yeah, I think the, the, the ecosystem development is one of the areas that, that you know, as I think about sustainable behavior change and we've been sort of touching it from a training standpoint a couple others but the ecosystem development is a huge part of it and creating that that cycle of innovators i want to step back and zoom out for a second and just kind of go big picture because because some folks may be listening and they may not be you know you know deep in it and super familiar so when you think about our part of the world let's start with the caribbean and then we kind of you know expand to, to other parts of you know latin america and africa but but within our part of the world you have the environmental areas, you have the social areas, you have the governance areas. Maybe you could talk about a couple of the things that you think are sort of top of mind in terms of issues that we need to tackle and address in each one. So maybe let's start, I mean, it's a climate smart accelerator, so why don't we start on the environment side and then we can kind of go from there. Sure. You know, if when I think about the gaps that we have to close as it relates to the environment, it's low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. You know, recycling, reducing single-use plastics, and, and especially in places like Trinidad, you know, you have Antigua, Jamaica, Barbados have already implemented their single-use plastics ban. Yes. Why hasn't Trinidad? So we want to make sure that the, the easy things to do, the things that our neighbors have done, mm -hmm. so we know how to do it, we've seen what it looks like in practice, we understand what are the changes that are required let's do those things yeah. you know it it helps to reduce things like flooding because you have less less plastic waste in the in the waterways clogging up the waterways causing flooding when we have these torrential rains that are new mm -hmm. so i would say that's what i'd want to yeah. see but i'd also want to see like corporate regional corporates getting more involved in supporting some of these entrepreneurs because they need they have great ideas, yeah. but sometimes it's just an idea yeah. and they need some they need support. Help. Yeah. And we don't have the ecosystem you mentioned earlier. You, you know, you don't have that bootstrap 
ecosystem that the U.S. has where, you know, you can kind of work with it and then you get a little VC money and then, you know, and you build from strength to strength. We just don't have that. And I think we lack at times the confidence yeah. because we don't see as many examples in this environment. So we definitely need to, to build that up, get corporates to support more small projects, to get them to fruition, to get them to the next stage, because I think ultimately it will benefit them to have some of these new solutions creating a bigger economy for the region and and I'll, we'll, we'll come back to some of the other sort of categories in terms of social and governance but but on that point when you, when you talk about you know corporates and organizations I mean one one trend there 2023 was you know the International Sustainability Standards Board releasing these new standards and saying hey we're going to start requiring organizations as part of you know the international financial reporting standards to talk about their climate related risks and and so compliance is one tailwind that's pushing organizations to start trying to figure out sustainability and and strategies there how are you seeing that likelihood to take root are you seeing an acceleration as a result of that you know particularly as 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 organizations face up to climate adaptation and resilience Definitely, but you're seeing it. You're seeing it mostly in the international organizations mm-hmm. who have a global plan, and that global plan is filtering down to our regional yes. institutions. You are seeing some indigenous institutions that are taking taking a a very aggressive aggressive may not be the right word, but are absolutely focusing on what needs to be done in in the resilience space, in climate action, in reporting. What I say to a lot of the businesses that we talk to is, listen, at some point, there will be regulation related to this. Yes. You want to get involved before the regulation. (laughs) Because the regulators, bless their hearts, they're only going by what they know. They are not... They're not clued into what will or will not work for your industry. And if you are not already taking the steps, neither will you. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide, listen, let me self-regulate to a point so that the regulation is either not necessary or I can inform the regulators and work alongside them to put in place regulations that make sense. That makes sense, absolutely. I think the one difference that I bring to this is that I'm very practical, um, and when I say that, I mean, like, I will work with oil and gas. I will work with the with the polluters. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a lot of this sort of us and them sure, in, this, yeah. in this environment. And the problem is, how do we get the oil and gas or the polluters or the people who aren't doing the right things, how do we get them to do the right things? Mm-hmm. And how do we support them in that yeah. versus vilifying them and, Absolutely. and, and, and driving them away? We're going to have to engage them and ask them the right questions. And, you know, I haven't spoken to anybody who says, I just don't care. Mm -hmm. There was one guy who sat on a plane behind me who was like, all this environmental thing is nonsense. But apart from that, apart from that one man, in five years, everyone else is singing from the same hymn sheet. Mm -hmm. Most people are just confused as to what to do. Yeah, I think there's, there's there's a challenge with how do I, how do I get started and make my way um, for my organization or for myself as an individual, for my household and, and, and creating, as you said, examples on that path is one of the powerful ways. Coming back to then, okay, so we kind of talked about some of the areas from a, from a climate standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, within our 
part of the world, there's a lot of, you know, inequity, there's poverty that you, you talked earlier on about food security. Are, are those some of the things that are top of mind? I mean, I think I, I tend to think a lot about food security, um, you know, within some of our opportunity space. And you talked a little bit about that as well. Is that, What would you say are the kind of the top things in that space that, you know, we, we need to be getting ahead of? For me, I think that if I zoom out a bit, yeah. there is a huge inequity in terms of our access to philanthropy within our region. Ah, okay. So we, um, together with Tides Foundation and Open Society Foundation, they conducted a study that they've shared with us that we've been using. And in between 2015 and 2021, I think the region received some $7 billion worth of philanthropy. Okay. Of that seven, so if you take that $7 billion per capita, it's less than the rest of the world. If you then subtract the 75% of that that went to Puerto Rico... Right. (laughs) Then it becomes minuscule. And this is not me guessing, huh? This is is the data. 75% of the philanthropy that we've received from 2015 to 2021 went to Puerto Rico and USVI. Right. So when you take that out, we are looking at what is going on. Yeah. According to IMF, we are the most... We, spe- we we have the highest exposure to climate-related risk and expense, right. right? And so why is it then that we are receiving the least so amount of the philanthropy? And I think places like Africa love them, and, and we, we do collaborations with African companies and African countries. But the reality is because they have the scale, they have the ability to attract China, Asia, scale. Sure. We just don't have the scale. So philanthropists are like, there's no, there's no impact there. But to us, this is real life. This is, I was going to say, this is die. like a life or death right now. Yes, this is, this is a very, very death. real thing. So that inequity that and that, that that's has not to something be solved. That, that's not something that, you know, I think until you said that, that that's not something that, that sort of generally makes the makes the sort of the headlines or the radar so it's it's very it's a very sort of below below the radar thing um but that's really fascinating to to hear about wow so that is really super interesting i mean you know we were just kind of talking about sort of offline that that gap and and that's just not something that normally is on the radar for most people and i would imagine that we need more of this to be sort of out there in order to be able to properly advocate for ourselves, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But even beyond that, when you look at, and bless their heart, World Economic Forum, and they do these amazing sort of feature pieces on new technologies and new solutions, most of them are in the global north. Mm -hmm. You know, I did sort of a check of like a hundred, and I was like, yeah, it's like, 85% 85% global north. And that doesn't mean that 85% of what is happening is happening in the global north. That's just what they're exposed yeah. to, right? You know, they talk about, oh, look at the uh, renewable energy penetration in XYZ country. We have uh, Costa Rica with 100% <laughs> in our region. Three of the, the seven carbon sinks in the world are in our region. Right. And so we have to start one being very proud of what we've managed to do, despite all odds, but we all also need to be informed about where we are strong versus where we are weak. Barbados is an absolute 
um, magnificent example of solar water heating. Yeah. Bermuda is an example of water security. Jamaica of, of open uh, renewable energy markets. Trinidad, our ability to produce green hydrogen is amazing. We just need the renewables to do it. Yeah. You know, we have the ability to connect the Eastern Caribbean for the production and to be a major player in the export of, of green hydrogen. All of these opportunities are things that are real. Um, Aruba, Curacao, and Bonaire have probably one of the richest, mix, richest mixes of renewable energy. They have everything from waste to energy, solar, wind, you name it, they have it. Yeah. And so... We have multiple examples of things going very right in our region. Grenada doing amazing things on protecting their coastlines. Uh -huh. They've put in these Gabion boxes off the coast and it's protecting their, their, their land loss. Okay. And all of these things are things that other islands need to understand. Right, exactly. Because right? you so, need some cross-pollination because absolutely. we need to bring it together. Yeah, so we need the, we have these centers of excellence, but they now need to talk to each other to figure out what's working, what needs work, where do we need to collaborate, and how do we create one-on-one -on -one equals three. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah? Yeah, that's amazing. So... I want to kind of go back. You, you talked about, I always think it's really interesting to talk about the journey and the experience. And, you know, I, was, I always want people to understand that, that, that these things don't go in a straight line. And so you talked <laughs> earlier on about, you know, building and learning and, hey, make mistakes, learn from each one or what have you. <clears throat> Can you maybe share as you've been sort of building the accelerator, what, what are some things that you've like been able to, to learn from and adapt um, through this journey that, that other people who are kind of getting started in this, in this world might be able to take in, in whatever, their, whatever, their, whatever their organization is? Well, I don't know if this is, this is the kind of advice you, you mean, but certainly burn no bridges mm -hmm. because you encounter everyone again. Yeah. That is without fail. You will see somebody again. So always be kind to everyone burn no bridges always and and this from the four agreements never take anything personally right nine times out of ten it's not about you yeah right so and just keep pushing keep pushing and never stop challenging yourself and all of these things i've learned you know there are times when i've given a bad presentation a huge high stakes presentation in front of richard branson fell flat now, I had several others that went well, yeah. but I also had one that went flat and I bawled four days yeah. after. But, you know, you've got to move on.com. You've got to pick up yourself and figure out, okay, that one thing will not kill me. Yeah. You have to also be pre always be prepared. I remember we spent months, again, for Richard Branson, doing a presentation, preparing a presentation for him, working with his team who are excellent and working with my team and back and forth, back and forth. I get into the room with him, pull out my laptop, and he's like, no slides, just talk to me. <laughs> I near had a heart attack. I was like, this man is trying to kill me. And had to present without access to any of the numbers, any of the, the information that we had spent months painstakingly preparing to just say, wing it. Oh, my goodness. And he's asking questions about these numbers. Eh? Right. So I was like, but it's right here, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't get the chance to do that. I was at an event uh, that Michael Bloomberg had and just walking out because I'm on the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero board and he's, he's you know, obviously someone on his team for me and I just wanted to say thank you. And, you know, I saw him standing in the lobby 
at this in Dubai. And I was like, hey, I just want to say thanks. He was like, I want a picture with you. And we got into a conversation. So, I mean, you, you have to always be prepared. Yeah. Never know when your opportunity it's will show up. And be open. Be open. See everything as an opportunity. I love and that. there are times when you need to say no, but say no with grace and empathy. So there are people who are like, hey, I'd like to meet. And I'm like, I would love to meet with you. But in order for me to deliver what I have to deliver, I may not be able to meet with you. But here are some other ways that you can meet your goal because I care about what you're doing. And I know that you're doing the right thing, but I just may not be the person that you need to meet with right now for you and for me. Right? So I think it's just treating people with grace and always being prepared and knowing that you will recover no matter what goes wrong. I love that. Well, well, I want to thank you, Raquel, for sharing your knowledge, sharing your time, uh, sharing you know some of these amazing insights. One of the things that I'm going to take away from this is just how much is actually happening and how much opportunity there actually is um you know so for all those people who are out there listening and they think how how do i get going where 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 can i go in this space we're doing amazing things in the caribbean we need more people who can take up arms so to speak and 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 move this thing forward and to create interconnection so thank you for sharing your story with us thank you thank you the pleasure was mine awesome